What's up everybody, Gen X Dividend Investor here. In this video I'll answer 10 interesting subscriber questions which cover a bunch of valuable investing and finance topics. I'll also share a fascinating email I got unexpectedly from a relative of one of the guys that created the infamous Dividend Irrelevance Theory. So please show me your support by hitting the thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and clicking that bell notification. If you'd like me to potentially answer a question of yours in a future Millionaire Dividend Investing Questions and Answers video, then please follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and DM me your questions. If you do send me a question, then please tell me if you don't want your name shared. And as always, I'm not a financial advisor, so treat this as entertainment only. And they're doing some construction outside my house, so sorry if you hear that in the video. So the first question comes from New World Order, and they said, GenX, glad to hear that you made it through your health scare. I currently hold SCHD in my portfolio, but what do you think about the CDC ETF? It has similar CAGR numbers to SCHD, but pays monthly. It has a higher expense ratio, but I like the monthly dividends. Hey, New World Order, thank you for your kind words. I've never looked too closely at CDC, so let's take a gander. CDC is the ticker for Victory Shares US EQ Income Enhanced Volatility Weighted ETF, and it came into existence only eight years ago. The longer something has been in existence, the better I often like it, as it shows it has some staying power, along with it gives us history we can analyze. The company behind CDC is Victory Capital, which is a wealth management firm with about $160 billion in assets under management. CDC is an ETF that holds 100 US large cap lower volatility dividend stocks, as well as sometimes holds large cash positions, and uses an interesting methodology to buy and sell stocks. It tracks the performance of the NASDAQ Victory US Large Cap High Dividend 100 Long Cash Volatility Weighted Index. So that index first identifies the largest 500 stocks by market cap. Then it throws out any that don't have positive net earnings over the last 12 months. Then CDC takes the highest 100 yielding stocks from that list and weighs them based on their volatility over the last 180 trading days i.e. it determines what percentage of each of the stocks it should hold, prioritizing stuff that has had low volatility. Then they have an algorithm for when they buy or sell stocks. Basically they sell some of their stocks during periods of significant market declines, and then they buy more when it crashes more, or if things go up by certain percentages. That ultimately means there can be times when CDC holds large positions of cash. So it's kind of a market timing algorithm, which turns me off, even though I'm sure they've done a lot of historical analysis to come up with the process they use that they believe will outperform going forward. Here are various methodologies the company uses, and CDC uses the US large cap high dividend 100 one. So if the index CDC tracks is within 8% of its all-time high, then CDC is 100% in stocks, 0% in cash. If its index is down 8%, then CDC goes 25% stocks, 75% cash. If it's down 16%, then it goes 50-50 stocks cash. So it's kind of a process where if it crashes a bit, they sell, then if it keeps crashing, they buy, and then they buy or sell based on where it was and what it's doing. I'll include links to the methodology in the description of this video if you want to get a more accurate and detailed understanding of it. Its top holdings include J&J at about 1.7% of the portfolio, Pepsi at 1.7%, Southern at 1.6%, etc. Morningstar gives the CDC ETF 5 stars, which is great, and says that it has around a 3% yield, but also has a relatively high expense ratio of 0.36%. Seeking Alpha says it has a 5-year dividend growth rate of 11.2%, but only has 1 year of dividend growth. Here are their last 5 years of payouts, and you can see that it's gradually trending up, but it varies dramatically month to month. So I don't like seeing 1 year of dividend growth, but at least it's been trending up over its brief history. Here are its sector weightings, and you can see it goes a bit heavier into utilities and financials and consumer staples, 
and given that it prioritizes lower volatility, then it makes sense to see utilities as the largest sector. Utilities are nice because they tend to hold up in tough markets, like this one, and aren't as volatile, which is why CDC likes it. Utilities' low volatility is why I liken them to bonds, even though bonds are generally safer, but also tend to have lower returns. Okay, let's get back to his question. So I get the appeal of monthly paying stocks, but I recommend that you don't let how frequently something pays influence too much what you invest in. I mean, the compounding of getting a smaller amount paid every month versus getting a larger amount paid every quarter probably won't end up being material enough to impact your returns. What really matters is if it's a quality investment. If you need monthly income but have a quarterly paying stock, then just budget your payout so you use a third of the quarterly payout the first month, and then another third the next month, and etc. And voila, you've now gotten monthly payouts from your quarterly stock. Why don't we look at how CDC has done compared to SDHD using Portfolio Visualizer. So let's pretend you invested $10,000 and you were reinvesting your dividends. Since CDC came into existence about 8 years ago, we'll look over that time frame for comparison. We see that CDC has done great and has a very similar performance to SCHD and only slightly underperformed SCHD. Specifically, your 10 grand in SCHD would have ended at about 22,900 as compared to 22,500 with CDC. Past performance is no guarantee of future performance, of course. Taking all that into consideration, I would personally pass on CDC, primarily because I'm not a fan of market timing, whether it's an algorithm doing it or a person doing it. But that's just me. I went into SCHD recently and like it more than CDC, but I'm sure there will be times where CDC will outperform it and vice versa. Of course, don't blindly do what I would do, nor what anyone on YouTube would do. Always learn and do what you think makes sense for you. Okay, let's move on. The next question comes from Gurwezi, who said that he recently sold Reality Income, ticker O, and bought Store Capitals, ticker STOR. Gurwezi was interested in my comparison of O with Store. By the way, it's Realty Income, not Reality Income, and I'm not a grammar Nazi, but maybe I am. Okay, both Realty Income and Store Capital are two popular REITs. Now, news just came out that Store Capital looks like it's going to be acquired by GIC and Oak Street for $14 billion in cash, and it's expected to close in early 2023 subject to approval by Store's stockholders. That would lead to Store no longer being listed on the stock market. Under the terms of the agreement, Store stockholders would get about a 20% premium in stock price relative to where it closed on September 14th, which is yesterday for me. So really the question should now be Realty Income or some other REIT, like National Retail Properties, ticker NNN. But regardless, let's still take a look at a few metrics on O and Store to get a flavor of things. Realty Income pays dividends supported by cash flow from over 6,500 commercial real estate properties operating under long-term lease agreements. Most of its tenants are in the U.S., but they have been expanding into Europe. They have clients like 7-Eleven and Chipotle, as well as grocery stores and warehouses and a bunch of other industries, and recently have moved into casinos as well. They primarily use triple net leases, which is where the tenant pays real estate taxes, maintenance, and insurance on the property, rather than the landlord paying it, the landlord being Realty Income. That's nice because it frees realty income from those expenses and they can simply get the cash flow to keep growing. Store Capital is one of the largest and fastest growing net lease REITs and owns a large, well-diversified portfolio that consists of investments in more than 2,500 property locations across the U.S., substantially all of which are profit centers. They deliver financial solutions to customers in a wide variety of industries in the U.S. They have customers like Burger King and AMC Theaters and others. Now, if I was personally looking to invest in either of those, I would do a deeper dive into their tenants, what their occupancy trends have been, and info on some of their lease agreements or financial aspects. But given what's going on with Store, I'll just look at a few quick metrics in my spreadsheet product tool comparing O and Store. 
we see that O has 26 consecutive years of dividend increases, making them one of the elite dividend aristocrats, as compared to Store, which only has 6 consecutive years. I have a guideline for my dividend investments that they need to have at least 10 consecutive years of dividend increases. Since both are REITs, we can ignore looking at payout ratios, but we can look at dividend yield and we see that O is at 4.39% right now, as compared to Store Capital, which has a nicer yield at 5.43%. We also see that Realty Income's dividend category is only 3.4%, which isn't as nice as Store's, which is at 5.83%. Since it's a REIT, we don't look at PEs. Now, one of the things some people like about Realty Income is that it's a monthly payout, but like I've said previously, I wouldn't let that influence you. Let's take a look at how their respective stock prices have been doing over time. So here we see that both have been trending up, with Realty Income's going up faster as well as having more history. Let's see what Portfolio Visualizer says when we compare their performance. So here we see that a $10,000 investment in Realty Income would have turned into $20,600, outperforming Store which would have left you at $17,740. If we compare their dividend payouts over time, we see that Realty Income's payouts have been only slowly going up in the last few years, whereas Store has been increasing faster, as their CAGR indicated. If we compare their yield over time, we see that lately O's has been going up faster, which means its share price has been dropping relative to the rate at which they've been doing dividend increases. Some dividend investors look at yield trends as one of the indicators they use to identify when something might be on sale. If we look at both of their shares outstanding over time, we see that both are increasing, which is normal for REITs, but something you normally don't want to see. If we look at their assets in blue compared to their liabilities in red, both companies have nice trends where their assets are growing faster than their liabilities. And here's a screenshot I put together taking some growth data from Seeking Alpha for those two REITs. It gives letter grades for some of their key growth metrics. So first it has AFFO growth over the last three years, and it gives Realty Income a B-, slightly outperforming Store's C+. For the last five years of AFFO growth, it puts both of them at a good B rating. Then when looking at estimates of go-forward AFFO growth, we see it only gives Realty Income a C+, as compared to Store's B. They list a bunch of other growth metrics, and you'll see that generally Realty Income outperforms Store Capital. Overall, I think that both of them are solid REITs, and each has their fans. But like I said, since it looks like Store will no longer be a publicly traded company, then Realty Income or something else is where you should look. Okay, let's move on. The next question comes from someone who asked me if I thought that Engine 1 helped turn ExxonMobil around recently. So no, I don't think Engine 1 had anything material to do with Exxon's recent turnaround. For context, an activist investor successfully waged a battle to install three directors on the board of ExxonMobil with the goal of pushing the energy giant to reduce its carbon footprint. The investor was a hedge fund called Engine One, and miraculously they got their people on the board. Now part of the reason they won was because Exxon wasn't doing too hot, though I'd argue that was because oil wasn't doing too hot, and they got on because they wanted Exxon to put more focus on reducing climate risk, which they said threatened long-term shareholder value, and some big institutional investors wanted them on the board. And while I'm sure that the people they got on the board had some great experience, I think that 99% of the reason why Exxon has done better in the last year has everything to do with the price of oil. So these new people might have had some influence, but I'd wager not a lot, and especially wouldn't be able to materially influence different actions as they're only a minority of the board. Here are two graphs I put side by side showing Exxon's stock price over the last five years on the left and the price of oil over the same time frame on the right. See how those charts look pretty similar? That's because oil companies like Exxon do great when oil is expensive and they do crappy when oil is cheap. Engine 1 got on the board of ExxonMobil around June of last year. So in my experience, I doubt their three new board members had much to do with Exxon's stock price. What really moves oil prices are what OPEC is doing, what the pandemic did, and what Russia is doing. 
And if all those things are forcing oil down, I also wouldn't blame Engine 1 for causing Exxon's price to also go down. But think about it, if those three new independent directors all voted as a block, it would represent only about a quarter of the board, which again isn't enough to move the dial relative to what the majority of the board want to do. This doesn't mean Engine 1's new directors aren't awesome, nor does it mean they won't influence Exxon and haven't influenced Exxon to some degree. I just think it would be significantly overstating things to think that they were why Exxon's stock prices rebounded. Now, if we see Exxon completely shifting directions and becoming the number one renewable company out there, then yes, I'll attribute that most likely to the new board members. I actually think it would be good for Exxon to both continue in the oil and gas space and do more in the renewable space, and I think that ExxonMobil was positioning itself brilliantly throughout the pandemic. Where some other oil companies were running away from investment, Exxon was using capital intelligently and strategically. And to be fair, there were periods where Exxon's management made big mistakes and underperformed. I have no problem saying that they've sucked sometimes, you can find data from top business schools which will echo that. But no, I don't think Exxon 1 had much to do with Exxon's recent performance, but ask me that question again in a few years and then we'll see how they might have influenced things. Okay, the next question comes from MiceEEVVV. He said, I have a theory I call the chaos portfolio. You start with 60% stocks, rest is cash, and with the help of DCA you drip feed into the market until you reach the max level of your predetermined risk. Mine is 85% stocks, 15% cash. And once you reach that level, you slide back to 60% stocks, 40% cash. So you sell the 25% of stocks when you're at the 85% level to reach the starting point once again. In order to do this successfully, you must keep track of your balance. And then even if there's a stock market crash of let's say five or 6% in a day, in some extreme case, you still don't care. You just calculate the new balance and keep going until 85% stocks or above if it dips badly. And he kind of goes on a little bit more about that. So I actually don't quite get what you mean, but at the end of the day, I think if it floats your boat, go for it. My strategy is more of one where I just keep trying to buy more shares and I rarely sell. Yes, there are times when my stocks are expensive, but they would have to be really dramatically overpriced for me to sell. Instead, I just keep collecting my dividends and not worry if the market feels one of my companies is popular at the moment or not. I also resist the urge to keep adding more stocks to my portfolio. As for me, when I go beyond 30 stocks, I can't keep track of them closely enough, but that's just me. Over time, I've become less emotionally attached to stock price fluctuations, and instead I focus more on what the company is doing and what I think it can do in the future. I've seen that the more people mess with their portfolios, on average, the worse they seem to do. So that's part of why I'm not a fan of the chaos portfolio concept, which has too much buying and selling for me. But I wouldn't let my two cents change what you want to do. You can always try it out, and if you like it, then continue, and if you don't, change. Usually you want to try a strategy for a good amount of time to really get a sense of how it performs, though it might be prudent to change your strategy faster if you quickly conclude it's bad. Okay, let's move on. The next question comes from Connor. He said, say I'm making 5,000 to 20,000 a year, meaning I would be in the 10% or 12% tax bracket. Would buying more REITs, covered call ETFs, or higher dividend yielding stocks with ordinary dividends be a good option to start your dividend portfolio? You would be making more money at the start, which lets you reinvest more. I also know that qualified dividends are not taxed below 40000 However, I would move to a higher paid job. That's when I would transition into bigger and well-known companies for my portfolio. What do you think of this possible idea? Hey Connor, so it depends on you and what you need now and what your risk tolerance is in your time frame and such. Like if you were young, then you'd probably not need income now and instead you should focus on whatever you believe will grow your net worth the most, aka stocks which you think will give you the best overall return when you factor in estimated stock appreciation and dividends which probably won't be covered call ETFs or high yield stocks. 
I doubt that early compounding from higher yield would net a better overall return than a stock that has a bright future. But I recommend that you run back tests on Portfolio Visualizer with stocks you like to get a flavor of their historical performance. Now, if you were in retirement and or needed income now, then income stocks would be worth considering. In terms of what you said about qualified dividends not tax below 40k, well that's kinda right and kinda not. There's a helpful calculator on MoneyChimp which estimates how much federal income taxes you would owe in a taxable account based on a bunch of criteria you can put in, like how much wage income you'd have and if you're married or not and what kind of dividends you get, like if they're qualified or not. And you'll find that if you had no job that you can make more in qualified dividends and not owe federal income taxes than if you had a job and had qualified dividends. And I'll show you what I mean. Example 1, let's assume you have no job but you made 54 grand in qualified dividends in a taxable account. This says you would owe $0 in federal income taxes. Nice. Example 2, let's assume you had a job which paid you 54 grand a year. Now the tax calculator says you would owe $4,721 in federal income taxes. And example 3, let's assume you have a job that makes 54 grand and you make 54 grand of qualified dividends in a taxable account. So that's 108 grand overall. Now we see you would owe $12,712 in federal income taxes. So that's why it's not necessarily an accurate statement to make when he said, I also know that qualified dividends are not taxed below $40,000. It really depends on the situation. Are they in a retirement account? If so, then that's accurate. Are they in a taxable account? Well, then it depends on if you have ordinary income in addition to your qualified dividends. Now, one thing to keep in perspective is even if your qualified dividends are taxed because you have wage income, realize you're still making more money than not having those dividends. Like in example three, even with those higher taxes of 13 grand, remember you're still taking home over 40,000 grand in extra income after taxes are paid. Anyways, that's part of why I like holding dividends in retirement accounts and why I also like them in taxable accounts, depending on your needs and financial plan. In retirement accounts, they basically grow without you needing to worry about taxes right now. And taxable accounts are giving you more income now, and even if they are taxed, you're still making more money. So my TLDR for you is that I wouldn't try to go for income ETFs and higher yield stuff. Instead, I'd build a diverse portfolio, whatever I think will net me the best long-term return, and consider simply going with VTI or VU and be done with it. Or if you are really interested in dividends, then consider something like SCHD, though you can see how you may owe taxes in a taxable account if you go with SCHD and you have a job. Okay, let's move on. This next question comes from someone on my Discord who asked me not to show their name. They said, Gen X, I've got a question. I have a rental house I'm debating on selling. It's just becoming too much of a hassle between repairs and finding good tenants. The house is fully paid for and produces $2,000 a month, which I used to pay bills. The bills for the rental run about $6,000 a year, so it generates about $17,400 in positive cash flow a year. If I sell the house, I should get around $350K. Then I was thinking of putting 125k into Devo, 125k into Jeppy, and 100k into SCHD, which should provide the same income without all the hassles of being a landlord. My only concern is that Devo and Jeppy could lower the dividend yield if we have a substantial bear market. I'm still on the fence with doing this, as I do like to be diversified and have multiple sources of income. I know what you say is not professional financial advice, just curious about your thoughts on the matter. Thanks. So I've dealt with rentals before and I way prefer stocks. Real estate takes too much time and causes me more stress and it has more liability. Even if you get a property manager, you still get pulled into big things that happen. You can't outsource your liabilities. Stuff can always come up. Like maybe you have an old underground sewage tank that is leaking into someone's property. You don't have to worry about things like that with REITs. And yes, hazardous stuff leaking into someone else's property was something I had to deal with once on a commercial property. 
so I can understand you wanting to sell your real estate and instead move into stocks. One thing to consider is that your tax implications with real estate is often better, so factor that into your overall analysis. Now I can't speak to Jeppy too much, because I don't really understand how they use ELNs and what the risk is. I think it's worse than the percentage of ELNs that Jeppy holds in its portfolio, but I'm not sure. Anyways, if it were me, I'd be happy to sell my real estate and put those proceeds into SCHD, which makes less cash flow, but also gets the benefits I called out. Of course, who knows what the markets are going to do over the next year, whether that's the housing markets or the stock markets. They could both crash or not, who knows. Regardless, having more sources of income is usually better, so if you're cool with dealing with the potential headaches of real estate, then that's probably a better overall position to remain in. It all depends on you. Okay, let's move on. The next question comes from Martin who said, Good morning. I've just found your YouTube channel and I'm about to start investing. I'm 32 years old from England and I plan on investing £10,000 per year for the next 20 years, but I have no idea where to start. Any advice you could give would truly be appreciated. Thank you. Hey Martin, congrats on starting to invest. I'm confident if you keep investing for decades in decent stuff that your future self will one day be grateful for your sacrifices. The key is to not quit when things look ugly. So in terms of where to start, I don't have a lot of knowledge about being British and investing in US stocks. I do have a bunch of folks from the UK on my dividend discord, so feel free to jump in on it and chit chat with them. If you can, then I'll try to invest in broad market inexpensive ETFs like VTI or VU. By inexpensive, I mean ones that have low expense ratio, which represents a fee to manage the ETF. If you really want to get into dividend stocks and you have access to SCHD, then that's one I'm long in and I like, but Vanguard has some dividend ETFs you could also consider, and there are others out there as well. Single stocks tend to be a lot riskier than baskets of stocks, so I'd shy away from single stocks for now. But you could also do both once you feel comfortable. If you don't know how to identify which stocks are good for you, how many stocks you should own, and what price you should pay for them and stuff like that, then no worries, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So keep watching videos and reading books and stuff, and don't invest until you feel more confident. I'd also not invest until you'd paid off your bad debt and you had an emergency fund in place. A classic investing strategy that some people use is called dollar cost averaging, where they look at the amount that they want to invest and they break it into smaller pieces and invest those pieces over time. So like for you, if you're planning on investing £10,000 per year, then invest £833 a month, every month, and then that way if the market crashes or if it shoots up, you can average into it. Anyways, I'm excited for you and congrats again for starting. Let's move on. The next question comes from Robert who said, Hi there, I've been watching this channel for a while and have really appreciated your principled analysis of investing. I was wondering what you'd say the importance of tax advantage accounts are for people with low income. I only make 40k a year and probably won't make more than that except for from investments. I'm a teacher. I also have a wife and kids and so I figure with all those dependents I probably won't ever pay a significant thought on taxes. Hey Robert. Good for you that you're spending time learning about investing and that you're actively pushing for it even on a low salary. I'm sure you'll do great in the long run given you have a teacher's pension, dividend income, maybe some social security and whatever else you end up having. Regardless, I think tax advantage accounts are still important, especially a Roth. My guess is that our taxes will trend up over time, not down, so something like a Roth might be super nice to have. I mean, decades of tax-free compounding combined with no taxes when you withdraw is hard to beat. But it depends on your needs. Maybe you want to invest some in a taxable account to supplement your income now, as well as invest some in a retirement account purely for the future. What I've seen time and time again is that people think retirement is so far off that they can always get to it later. That's kind of like saying I'll eat right later, or work out later, or whatever. All the good stuff in life is hard and takes sacrifice now to enable a better future. So if it were me, I'd probably invest in both. And I wouldn't invest to a point where it kills you, but I would make some sacrifices now to build up my Roth. Okay, let's move on. This next one actually isn't a question, but it's a fascinating email. 
It came out of the blue, and it was from the relative of either Miller or Modigliani, aka the guys who were attributed with the infamous dividend irrelevancy theorem, which kind of says a company's dividends should have little to no impact or value on a company's stock price. Now there have been countless studies that show that companies that pay dividends have outperformed, on average, companies that don't pay dividends all around the world. However, that doesn't mean that every company that pays dividends is a great company. I would never invest in a company merely because it has a dividend. It has to be a great company first. That's why you should never simply look at a bunch of yields and go, ooh, let me get the high yield stocks. You always want to dig deeper and identify good companies. Now I can't show you the email because they asked me not to show it, but the person is a relative of either Miller or Modigliani, and what's fun is that this person loves dividends, even though their own flesh and blood kind of famous relative had that theory. What they said was that they thought that the biggest problem with their theory was that it doesn't cover the emotional side of investing, and that it assumes investors are perfectly rational and that they have full market information. Anyways, I've given my thoughts on their theorem in other videos, so I won't rehash that again, but I did think it was funny that someone related to one of them ultimately loves dividends and disagreed with some of their dividend naysayers out there. Fun stuff. Okay, the last question also comes from someone that didn't want me to show their details. Basically, they're a smaller dividend channel on YouTube, and they've been struggling because of the trolls that leave nasty comments on their videos. They're getting depressed, and it stresses them out when they see toxic comments, and it brings them down to the point where they don't even want an investor to look at social media anymore. So they are seeking my advice on what to do. So first of all, if you really feel down, then go talk to a counselor who can help with depression. And I'm sorry you're getting some hate on social media. Unfortunately, the internet sometimes enables people to be extra mean as they hide behind that shield of anonymity. That usually unfortunately comes with the territory of putting yourself on social media. Gary Vee has some awesome videos you should watch where he talks about trolls and the TLDR is that you gotta feel sorry for him because anyone who goes out on the internet and slams you probably really feels bad about themselves deep down and they're just lashing out. I get some toxic comments myself sometimes and that's just kinda social media. But don't tunnel vision on nasty comments, I'm sure you also have some non-mean comments. Focus on the nice ones. A lot of what happens in life is ultimately how you react to it, not the situation itself. You can let a negative comment bring you down, or you can take it and use it as fuel to drive yourself forward and to improve. It reminds me of a story about a man who's an alcoholic and who has two children. When those kids are in their 30s, they're both asked if they drink. The first one says, yes, I drink every day because my dad was an alcoholic. The other one says, no, I never drink because my dad was an alcoholic. The same situation can either tear you down, or it can be a learning opportunity that you can use to improve yourself and become stronger. It depends on the meaning you attach to what happens. It depends on your actions. If people are leaving some hate on your videos, then you could focus on the negative of that, or you could realize that you're building your future and you have finally pushed through your own laziness and you actually have a YouTube channel. That's winning. Don't let their comments destroy you. The first time I got fired from a job, I was devastated. I got depressed. I literally wasn't hungry anymore. I felt like a failure. I was worried about my finances. But I dusted myself off and started working harder and going in a new direction and today I look back and think that getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to me, even though at the time I felt like it was one of the worst things that had ever happened. I'm proud that you're building a channel and I know how hard it can be and I encourage you to focus on the awesome parts of it and what you've done and don't let the negative Nellies bring you down. Just realize that's part of the game so keep on trucking. And that wraps up my questions for this video. Hope you guys enjoyed all that and I'm sorry if I couldn't get to your questions if you submitted one. I've got a long list of questions I've been asked, so I can't guarantee I'll get to everyone's in a video, but I'll do my best. If it's really important, you can always see if I have a Patreon King Spot open, which lets us chat voice one-on-one, -on -one, though I don't have any King Spots available at this time. Now I'll shout out my newest Patreon aristocrats and kings who've signed up since my last video. So first thank you to Junior, who signed back up as a Patreon aristocrat. Thank you Rock for signing up. Thank you Tulsa Dividend Growth for signing up. 
and thank you Joe for signing up. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in this video, and they gain access to multiple private channels on my dividend Discord chat server, where I let my upper tier Patreons watch my videos before I release them into the public, as well as let them vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos, and of course they get more direct access to me. And now I'd like to thank John C who upgraded from a Patreon aristocrat to a Patreon king, and as I've said, I've got no king spots left open as of this video. If you do want to chat privately with me, then watch for updates on my Patreon page around the 5th of each month, which is when I update my membership and you might find an open king position available. If you made it this far in the video, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Also, if you'd like me to potentially answer a question of yours in a future Millionaire Dividend Investing Questions and Answers video, then follow me on Instagram at GenXDividendInvestor and DM me your questions. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it and is growing all the time. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.